Welcome to Book Bistro, where book enthusiasts come to chat about the books they love in a warm and supportive environment. Episode is airing on Tuesday, November twenty third, twenty twenty one. This is Shannon, and we are here for an author interview. Unfortunately, I have no new releases for you this week. There were very, very few that I could find, so I will be combining the weeks of the twenty third and the thirtieth into one longer new release episode next week. So. Today, I'll be sharing an interview with author Leisha Cornwall, and this is um, a historical novel, so we talk a lot about writing historical fiction, we talk some about romance, and the ways in which romance and historical fiction kind of cross paths. So, I hope you enjoy this as much as I enjoyed doing it. It was a lot of fun, and I will be moving into the housekeeping information, and then we'll get started. You can find us on Twitter and on Facebook by searching Book Bistro Podcast. You can always post just on the Book Bistro timeline. Some of you have done that. I'm always so happy to see when you've published posts there. You can join our Facebook listener group where you can chat with us as well as with other podcast listeners. You can keep an eye on some of what we're reading. We usually update you each Wednesday with a look at our current reads. If you'd like to get a hold of us and social media is not really your thing, you can email us. That address is thebookbistropodcast at gmail.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Book Bistro Podcast. This is Shannon, and today I am talking with author Leisha Cornwall about her latest novel, The Woman at the Front. This is a historical novel releasing on the 28th of September here in the U.S. So, Leisha, I just want to say thank you for joining me today before we get started. Thank you for having me. I'm delighted. You are, you are very welcome. So could we start out with you giving listeners a little bit of an introduction to the woman at the front? Uh, yes. The story is set in uh, World War I on the western front of France. And the, the premise is uh, the British didn't allow female doctors to practice there, uh, although many volunteered and they even raised funds and staffed uh, fully equipped hospitals and offered them to the government. They, they were not allowed um, but my fictional heroine, she graduates from, from medical school in 1917, and she dreams of, of going and helping with the wounded, and, uh, but her ambition is thwarted at every turn. So she's also facing uh, social pressures, like her parents want her to get married and forget this medical nonsense. And uh, she gets, when she gets the opportunity to actually go over to France and take care of one single patient and bring him home, she seizes the opportunity as a chance to start a medical career at last. And while she's warned not to interfere with, with any of the other soldiers, uh, she can't help but jump in when hundreds need help. And uh, so that's basically, that's 
the premise of the story that she she goes to the front and she finds a way to be the doctor she's always wanted and takes control of that that future that even though it's very uncertain and she finds love along the way as well so hello kitty cat (laughs) (laughs) it is always good to have um, a feline endorsement (laughs) oh yes yes (laughs) So, did you base this character on, like, any real-life people, or is this a completely fictional story? It's, well, it's a completely fictional story, but a lot of the, the events are based on, on actual research. So, for example, um, there are a lot of female doctors who practiced, who, who tried to do this, and were... Uh, sort of sent to other areas of the front or practiced at home. So yeah, the fact that she actually makes it over there and is, is fictional, but it's, it's kind of the, a woman who's determined to succeed. And so many of them were, were thwarted that it was, it was nice to create a character like that. Yes. That did not have to sort of sacrifice her, her dreams for sort of the, the comfort yeah. of other people. She, she, she found a way to make them come true for herself and, and, and decided on her own destiny and took control of that, which is what I like about her. She, she's my alter ego. I mean, writers tend to be shy, introverted little, little people who sit in front of computers and listen to the voices in their head telling them stories. So it's, it's nice to be able to, to write a character who goes out and kicks butt and succeeds. Yes. I also really like that this is a World War I story because I feel like the market is really, really full of World War II fiction right now. And yes. not nearly as much is, is done with World War I. Um, I read Lauren Willig's um, Band, of, Band of Sisters earlier this year and yeah. really loved it. But there's not, there's not a lot out there that's just set in World War One, so I appreciated that when I saw the blurb for the woman at the front. Oh, well, thank you. Yes, it's a it's an interesting difference. Uh, I think it's easier almost to write in World War Two because there was such a clearly defined big bad enemy and uh, so much so much more uh, going on that you could pin a story to. Uh, so many more fronts and and uh, and ideas. So yeah. It's, well, I feel like there are pieces of history of World War II that like we just were never taught. So as people are digging into them, you know, you learn more about World War II, which is which is very good. But I love that at least we're beginning to see a little bit more um, World War I stuff out there. Yes, it was it was a very interesting war and it certainly led up to the Second World War. So without the first one, you wouldn't have the second one and all those other books. <laughs> so. Well, that's probably true. So was there something that particularly inspired you to write this particular story in this particular setting? Yes. Uh, World War I is my grandfather's war. So my grandfather was uh, an English uh, emigrant, immigrant to Canada with his family when he was a teenager. And as soon as war was declared, he and his brother uh, joined up, went, went over to fight for the, the motherland. And uh, they both were at the, a, a famous, it, it was rather famous Canadian battle at Bimmy Ridge. And my grandfather was a gunner behind the lines and his brother was was in the very front lines and he was killed. 
when I was when I was a teenager my grandfather told me the story and he said um, you have to promise that you're going to go over and find the war grave and we finally did I went with my my kids oh and, uh, and it was just such a moving trip and I thought okay I want to write about this and I also had an interest in in uh, military medicine and I thought okay so I'll make my main character a nurse that's what my story will be about and then in starting to do the research uh, I realized that well nurses and ambulance drivers and and other female personnel were allowed on the front doctors weren't and I thought ah there's an interesting angle to write a story about a person who defies that so, yes and that's yes where this I think there is something really special about stories that kind of come from a personal place as opposed to just somebody who says, oh, you know, I woke up this morning and I thought it would be great to write this. So I'm always really intrigued by the things that authors talk about that sort of inspire them, you know, from like their own lives, their own family histories that sort of give it that extra layer of like authenticity. Stories come from everywhere. I mean, like you could be describing a trip to the grocery store to your family in the evening, and that's that's a story. And our whole lives are sort of uh, built around the stories that we tell and the stories that we hear. And yeah, I mean, family stories are particularly interesting. We we just lost uh, my uh, my father in law and found suitcases of of family papers in the basement from world war one uh, his father and like be, be far beyond that like medical degrees from the 1800s and it, it's absolutely amazing to to find that stuff and realize that you have a connection to it well i am sorry to hear that you suffered a loss it does sound like though you found some interesting things kind of along with that loss um and that's live finding like sort of discovering family history keeps keeps the people alive yes yes I think it does we um my great-grandmother was born in 1916 and I was thinking about her just kind of as you know everything has gone on like with the pandemic and you know I thought like she was just like a child when we had you know the great sort of war or not war flu outbreak um in 1918 and I just you know it's interesting to think about like the things in the past that sort of parallel now things that are happening here yes isn't isn't it incredible (laughs) yes I'm not sure um I'm enjoying it a a ton but no there's a thing that happens (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's that's true. History. So you are in Canada. Yes. Um, how are you guys doing in terms of the the pandemic? Like, are you are things kind of opened up where you are, or? Uh, well, we're I'm in Alberta, and right now we're having a, a very serious fourth wave, and of course, I mean we're we're seeing a lot of the um, uh, conflict, I guess, between vaxxers and anti-vaxxers, and and uh, things, and they're it's it's very difficult trying to I understand the the burnout of all this and trying to get back to normal and and the desire to just just be up again without having to worry every time you step out your front door but yeah it's uh it's really crazy <laughs> and, and what, we, part, what part of the U.S. are you in? 
So I am in the Midwest, um, just outside Detroit, Mm -hmm. and we are also having, I think our whole world is having this like really intense wave of, of COVID. And certainly here in the U.S., there is just this ton of people who don't want to wear masks and don't want to be vaccinated and don't want the government to tell them what to do. Yes. And it's kind of a giant problem. <laughs> and I, I so, know there's in, uh, in Australia who are saying that the, the same thing is happening there. So, yes, it really is a... I guess it's the second type of pandemic. <laughs> so I, I guess it is like that whole sort of just difficulty that people have with being governed in this particular way. Yes. So did you write any of this particular book during the pandemic or were you done with a lot of it by the time all of this started? I was just finishing off um, edits for it when, uh, when I, this all started and I, I wrote was okay this, another book which uh yeah so <laughs> trying to write during this was extremely difficult um I mean at, at first I mean you just think oh I can't possibly concentrate but it gets you through it it, it also helps to have something to focus on to uh that's uh not the news and not what's going on outside so yes <laughs> Writing certainly I've, helps. I've heard from a lot of people, um, both readers and writers, just you know, sort of the difficulty in in concentrating, as especially in the early days of the pandemic. Yes. And I think, fortunately, um, you know, people are are adaptable for the most part, and you can you can train yourself to concentrate, which I guess is a good thing, since this does not seem to be ending anytime soon. Um, But I have been just so grateful for the people who are able to write and create art during the pandemic so that the rest of the world, you know, kind of has that to look forward to. Yes. And I understand that book sales have been uh, up over the pandemic uh, because people are looking for a different kind of escape I guess once Tiger King is o- over, you need a good book. <laughs> so. ah, Tiger King, yes. Yes. As, as much as I love kitty cats, I don't think I will have a tiger. Uh, yes. My son's, or, or two. He, my son's dream when he was a child was to have a tiger of his own. Um, fortunately, we never achieved that dream, but <laughs> we went to a lot of zoos and met a lot of tigers. Or, <laughs> I'm blind. And I used to say that if I could have a guide tiger instead of a guide dog, um, that would make me really happy because I'm much more of a, of a cat person than a dog person, but you can't have like your standard, you know, house cat, um, guiding you around that just won't work. Yes. They have those Savannah cats, the ones that are, Oh yeah. That would be impressive. (laughs) That'd be good. But I, I used to think like I could just have like this giant tiger that would walk around with me. Yes. Fortunately, though, no one ever um, okayed that. And so I, I never <laughs> I never got to like take a tiger to the grocery store. Yeah. Yes. It, it would be very um, eventful. <laughs> yes, it would. <laughs> 
So you mentioned that you wrote another book um, during the pandemic. Is there anything that you can tell us kind of about what that is, what we might be looking forward to from you? Yes, um, it uh, is, I believe it's due to come out sometime in the next year or so. Um, it is set in Berlin in 1936. Um, sort of the interwar period. So not quite World War II yet, but... Um, no, but almost. Yes. We're heading there. And this was when the Nazis were still on the rise, but they were they had the, the 1936 Olympics in Berlin, and this is the one with oh. Jesse Owens. And and while the, they were sort of, you know, waving the, the flag and saying, welcome, uh, behind the scenes, they were already planning for war. And the, the heroine of that story, I found out that the British sent their, their debutantes over to Germany um, during the 30s, particularly for um, a little bit of finishing, a little bit of international polish, perhaps to, to connect with uh, the upper classes there, thinking that, uh, well, it, 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 you can't possibly have a war for all intermarried. And, you know, as as you can see with hmm. the royal in World War One, that, that didn't really proved to be the case but she's she's on holiday and she's spending some time with a, an aristocratic German family who are staunch Nazis and she's asked to take photographs for the British to prove that there's things going on behind the scenes that aren't um, quite legitimate so that's the, the story and she teams up with a, a reporter from from England and and they have to, as things get bad, they have to survive. So there's a little more suspense in that one and, and uh, adventure than there was in sort of a more evil presence than there was in, uh, I, I know that's a weird thing to say about a, a book about any war, but. <laughs> well, I think it goes kind of back to what you were saying about World War II, there being sort of the obvious like bad thing yes. that people were uniting against. And I think that is, it does add that layer of yeah. suspense and intrigue. Yes. Well, hopefully it will be, uh, that one was, is going to be called, uh, what's the title? That Summer in Berlin. So that ah. be So is that a title that you came up with or did you have other ideas for it? Um, no, originally it I can't remember what it was originally called, Nazi Games or something like that, or Berlin Games, I think it was the original title. But it it takes so long to come up with the titles and the covers of oh, books. Oh, yes. The real process between uh, the author and uh, the design team and the editor and my agents. And, and yes, a lot of people are, are involved and give their opinion until it's uh, it, it's right. <laughs> so... So how much input do you as an author have on things like that, like your cover and your title and even like your um, like the the copy at the back of the book, things like that? Well, I'm always asked my opinion and um, I they say, well, how would you like to change it? And uh, in the past, I have been asked to actually write the copy and then they we work, go back and forth to edit it. Um, but yes, it, it, author input is important, but I also trust the team at the, at the publishing house to know what is going to work with mm -hmm. uh, uh, book buyers. Apparently, like when, when I wrote Romance, um, all the, the, the buyers who bought uh, books for places like Walmart and everything else were all men. So they would look at the romance cover and go, yep, that's going to sell because it's got a 
pretty woman with half her dress off or, um, you know, what, whatever they imagined would the public would want. That's what kind of had to be in, taken into consideration. And there were always certain words that you wanted in your title that would instantly attract readers. Things like Duke and Bride and, you know, I can't remember all of them, but you know, it's like, try to use these words to fit in. <laughs> so. It's funny that you mentioned Duke because as soon as you were saying that there are certain words like that is like the first thing that flashed into my mind. Yes. And considering and I, there, there are like so few Dukes in, in England and they're all like old and toothless and oh know, yes we have millions. But in, in Romance Landia we have you know thousands. <laughs> and isn't it wonderful? <laughs> yes yes it is. I've also read books with Duke in the title, only like no one is a Duke. And I've been a little <laughs> confused oh. by that. I'm like, wait, there, there are no Dukes. So how did this work? Yes. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's an amazing process going through all the, all the background that, it, that makes a book. It's not just writing the, the story. It's, you know, creating the copy and the publicity and and the all the stuff behind the scenes to to make it interesting to readers. And so, and I certainly hope that we've managed to do that with the woman at the front. So, what kind of caused you to shift from writing romance to writing sort of historical fiction with perhaps romantic elements? Mm-hmm. Well, I'd always wanted to to uh, move beyond writing romance, and um, I actually had a contract that was cancelled for um, the the publisher decided to go in a different direction, and I was in the middle of a contract, and I just received a letter that said, "We're not doing this anymore." And oh. I said to my agent, "Well, what now?" And she said, "This is your moment. This is this is when you you start your your next." Part of your your journey and and try something new and different and she said I, w- I want you to write that world war one story you've been thinking about and oh. sometimes I think she knows me better than I know myself she's she's quite amazing with her advice and uh and yeah so and that's that's what I did I, I started writing something different and I found it uh it's 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 different than romance. There's there's not the genre conventions of romance. So you're sort of more more free to um, to sort of create characters that that go different directions rather than you know it's a love story and there's two people. And uh, but the publisher said we love your background in romance. We would like you to have to use that to create strong romantic elements and a relationship in the woman at the front which is uh, where that came from, <laughs> so. So as someone who reads a lot of romance, like I think I read my first one when I was like 12 or 13. Me too. <laughs> it's not, you know, it's certainly not the only thing I read, but it's one of the things that I kind of come back to again and again. Um, yeah. You know, I'll take a break and I'll read historical fiction or thrillers or fantasy, but I always find myself coming back to romance. And I'm always really interested when people, you know, start, like a lot of people started writing romance and then kind of branched off as you have done. Um, And I'm curious to know, like, now that you have branched off, do you think that you will ever return to writing like strictly romance? Or do you enjoy this sort of broader view with romantic elements kind of incorporated? 
I love writing historical fiction in different time periods and, and telling unique stories, but I still love romance as well. I mean, I, I, I also wrote one of those during the pandemic. It was, it, I used to have a, a process where between books, I would write something fun just for me that was ah. uh, and uh, so I would, I would sort of, you know, keep tinkering with that when it, when it, and this book took like five years to finish. And I finally decided during the pandemic, okay, this is light and fluffy. I'm going to finish it along with these other things I was working on. And uh, I did, but uh, right now I, I'm not sure it's ready to be published while we're working on uh, <laughs> doing other things with, uh, so yeah. Well, that's fair. It's still my under the under the bed someday novel, I guess. Doesn't okay. every writer have one? <laughs> I think many do. Um, and it's always like really awesome to hear kind of what is in kind of driving people, like the things that you work on just for you. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really, I really enjoy knowing that writers do that. You know, they write the things that sell. Yes. But a lot of them also still like find the time and the energy to create like things that maybe are just for them. And I think, you know, that that's okay. I think everybody needs a little bit of that thing that feels comforting and, and good. Well, it's kind of funny to think that a writer uh, writes something else just for fun. Uh, I mean, doctors don't go home and practice medicine <laughs> just for fun on their off days. But yeah, right. I hope not. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. I remember my my neighbor is a dentist, and he said when I, he he loved cats. He said, "When I retire, I think I'm going to take up cat dentistry." It was just such an odd comment. <laughs> but yes. So I wonder when yeah. I'm going to retire. <laughs> So returning to romance, um, just because you had said that, you know, you, you enjoyed reading them. What are some of the, like the romances that kind of brought you into the genre? Oh, um, I love, well, historical romances, of course, but I love uh, yes. Joe Beverly and uh, Mary Bala's Simply series. And um, oh, I'm just trying to think of some of the other ones. Of course, there's uh, A Knight in Shining Armor, which is yes. I mean, isn't that everyone's favorite? <laughs> oh. so, that's a wonderful book. Yes. So th- those were the kinds of books that when, when I decided that, yes, I was going to take a go at, uh, at writing something, I thought, okay, well, I, I will write romances. So I read everything I could get my hands on and in, in the library. And I think I went to three different libraries to make sure I got everything. <laughs> so yes. And, uh, um, those those were sort of my favorites. I love the way they do their characters and their their stories and and yes, and it's. I was so sad when Joe Beverly passed um, some years ago because her company of rogues books um, were some of my favorite, like Forbidden and An Unwilling yes. Bride. Um, and it just, I, you know, it's it's always sad to know that someone who has written books that you love has passed, but I feel like there are certain certain authors that hit you harder than others. And for me, when we lost Bertrice Small and Joe Beverly, um, I just, I felt like that was, that was a, a very big deal. No, I agree with you. I agree. It's, it is hard. Um, yes, they, they were just, just, I think that's, I went back and I reread everything that uh, I had on my shelf from Joe Beverly and yes. things I had not read before and reread them. So, and that was a, uh, 
Yeah, I'm, I actually got to meet her here in Calgary once, and she was, uh, she was oh. a lovely lady. So, yes, uh, that was a, a treat. <laughs> yes, that sounds amazing. Oh, and so and Julie Garwood, I love her books. Oh, Julie Garwood. They're because yes. the, the Scottish ones are just hilarious, and they're so wonderful. <laughs> I think Saving Grace is perhaps my favorite by her or the secret oh yes the secret was wonderful yes yes it was she doesn't do so much historical now though she's kind of um done a lot of romantic suspense which i also really like but i think there's something that's very special about her historicals and i sometimes wish that she would um just give us you know one more I think I read something that that uh, women authors get to a certain age and it's like, you know, I would rather kill them than kiss them. <laughs> well, and then they switch. <laughs> I, I, I suppose that that's a fair assessment. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, yes. So what have you read recently that you think the world should know about? Um, well, uh, let's see, what have I read? I'm currently reading uh, one called Braiding Sweetgrass, which is um, Indigenous stories uh, and how they, they sort of relate to the modern world and connect us to nature, which I'm enjoying very much. And um, I just, I, I think it's out today, um, uh, Stephanie Marie Thornton's book, A Most Clever Girl. It's about- Oh, yes. Hi. And I got to read that in advance because I'm doing an event with with Stephanie in at the end of September, and it's it's an amazing book, and I think everyone is going to be talking about that this fall. Uh, so that would be fun. I spoke to her um, in mid August mm -hmm. um, in advance of her release because she was going back to school. Yeah. Um, to teach and so she wasn't able to do interviews like right around release day so I spoke with her um, in like early to mid-August and we talked about A Most Clever Girl which I am super super excited for. Yes I, I loved it I, it was a really interesting story and um, yeah she's she's an amazing writer I mean I've, I've, I loved her um, they called it Camelot as well I, I remember reading that and thinking wow that was before I really knew anything about her or had met her online <laughs> so that one is on my list of things to read I also really enjoyed um American Princess yes by her I think that was the first one that I read that she wrote she's incredible I I don't know how people who have careers and I know she also keeps bees and uh has an amazing garden uh, I don't know how people find time to write <laughs> on top of all that. So. You know, I, I often wonder that, like, you'll hear people say, oh, you know, well, I get up at four o'clock in the morning and I'm just like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> well, I get up at 530 to work because it's quieter then. But, you know, that's as, about as early as I can manage. <laughs> so Yeah, even 530. I'm just not a morning person. Like, if you know, I, I stay up like late into the night. And then sleep. And I, I don't, I can't imagine getting up and like writing something at 530 in the morning. Well, you get used to it. <laughs> oh, my, my brain would just be like, I have nothing to say. <laughs> well, I want
want to thank you so much for taking time out of your pre-release schedule to chat with me about cats and books <laughs> and pandemics and wars <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and all sorts of great things. Can you let listeners know um, what would be the best way to find you online? Well, I have a website at just www.leishacornwall.com. Um, I'm on Facebook. Uh, I'm on Instagram. So yes, you can uh, you can find me a lot of places, and I'm sure that uh, that I will be popping up in the next couple of weeks. <laughs> as the, as the, yes, uh, I'm sure you will. But yes, and I I when I hear from readers, if if you want to send me an email uh, or a message, then. Uh, I am happy. I always reply. So if That's you have awesome. any questions and or comments, then I would love to hear them. I'm also on Goodreads. So that's uh, that's another place we can connect. Ah, uh, Goodreads. Yes. One of my very, very favorite places in the virtual world. <laughs> yes. So many books. So many books. <laughs> oh, many. I, I keep adding them to my to be read shelf and I think last time I looked there were literally like 7,000 books there it's on like my shelf PDR file right that's what yes Goodreads is I mean it's like every book is a good book and you just have to unearth it from the rest <laughs> so. yes you just you just need them all yeah, absolutely absolutely and with like digital things now um it's a little more doable to have them all like you don't have to you know have a whole house just for books yes <laughs> Well, again, we were talking about The Woman at the Front by Leisha Cornwall, which is releasing on September 28th. And again, I thank you so much for joining me today. It was lovely to talk to you, Shannon. Have a wonderful day. If you would like to leave us a rating or a review, you can do that on Apple Podcasts or any other platform that you use to access the show. Not only does it tell us what you think, but it also helps other people find us when they're looking for book-related podcasts. Um, it kind of advances us in the Google algorithm. So I will be back next Tuesday morning with an author interview and, of course, the guide to new releases. And some number of us will be back on Friday with more bookish greatness. Take care, everybody.